guys, it's Melissa. Since we're an independent podcast, your support means the absolute world, whether that's on social media, in a podcast review, or a word of mouth recommendation. If you've been enjoying this podcast and would like to take it a step further, I now have a support feature where you can contribute a one-time donation at whichever price you'd like. Click the link in the episode description to learn more. Thanks, guys. Now enjoy the show. The Sisterhood of the Bottomless Mimosa. Hello! Hey guys, welcome to the Sisterhood of the Bottomless Mimosa. This is Melissa. And this is CJ. And in the background, you can hear my neighbor's table saw. Sorry in advance, but (laughs) she wanted to make an appearance for the episode. That's why this is called DIY podcasting. Um. You want higher quality? Give us your dollars. <laughs> Somebody sponsor us. Oh, please. Then God. maybe we could kick it up a notch. Um, all right. Should we, do we need to talk about anything? Is there anything cool to report? I was in Portland. Oh, yeah. You were in Portland. How was yeah. that? Uh, I Have you ever been? I've, no. I've never been. Dude, so I fucking loved it. I bet. Yeah, I thought I wasn't going to like it because it just sounded like a San Francisco part two. And I'm like, blah, blah, blah. I've already seen it. Yada, yada, yada. But it was super beautiful. It's gorgeous. It never clicked for me that it's built on a river. And so there's all these beautiful bridges and there's hills and there's trees. And it is, it does kind of sort of have a Bay Area vibe, but a little bit more laid back. And it doesn't have the whole, I don't know tech thing going on like san francisco does now i really liked it and you can just go to the store and buy weed that's beautiful but you can do that that, california yeah i can't do that in louisiana lame i know was it like more crunchy granola than the bay area yeah it was more 90s that's like the best way to describe it it felt more like a throwback to when all that stuff started becoming cool and i really loved that as a 90s child were there a lot of people riding bikes there were a lot of bikes, and it was a good mix, too, of really beautiful people and just kind of, like, normal and alternative people, whereas I feel like, I don't know, I feel like some of the more she-she cities, or it's just, like, constant models walking down the street, and I'm like, guys, I really am not prepared for this. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny. I saw this meme. Well, not a meme, actually. There is an Instagram handle um, that is called overheard LA which basically mm-hmm. means like whoever has this account has overheard people saying things and so they've cr- created it almost as a meme and it's hysterical and uh one of the things I follow it's so good one of the things that was overheard and posted on this page was one girl telling another girl uh I need to move back to San Francisco I'm a because I'm a four in LA, but I'm a solid 12 in the Bay Area. <laughs> and oh I'm my just God. dying. I remember when I first started going to SF State, at that time I was dressing like a hardcore lesbian all the time. It was kind of like you. <laughs> I was just wearing plaid, plaid and jeans all the time. I would be caught dead in jeans now because I'm too fat, but just like plaid and jeans all the time. And when I started going to San Francisco and I get off, if I ever got off downtown, this is before it was all hoodies. People were dressed 
cute. They actually looked good. They didn't look like homeless lesbians. I was like, oh shit, this worked in Berkeley, but I think I got to step up my game a little bit. Yeah, but you can be, you can look like a homeless lesbian in Portland and fit right in. See, I miss those days. Yeah, I do too. You, I I think you would really love Portland, and that's such a short trip for you. You should think about going. It's also just got a ton of great nature stuff, and I love that you have your paddleboard life going on because we did a little river trip while we were there, and there were all these people on stand-up paddleboards. They were getting their life, and it looked so fun. Yeah, it's fun. My sister is dying to get out to Portland, Oregon, specifically because she's obsessed with that little person family that's on TV. No idea. Have you heard of them? No. I can't ever remember what their name is, but they have some big, gigantic pumpkin patch, and they have a reality show, and my sister is obsessed. Little people? Like, are they midgets? What do you mean, little people? Yes. Oh my god! And they have and a pumpkin they, patch. Yeah, they own this like massive farm, and I believe it's just pumpkins that they do. And they like somehow got their own reality show. And my sister's a full fledged like fan, and she like can't wait to get up there so she could go to the farm. <laughs> <laughs> so I might be going to Portland, Oregon, very soon this year. I so honestly, Melissa, if I had gone to Portland before I visited New Orleans, I probably would have moved there. Like, I love New Orleans, and I'm so glad I came here. But I was like, oh, shit. I never knew. Portland's Portland's rad. I really like Portland. Great job, Portland. Good job, Portland. Way to be. Portland's, yeah, I have one friend who lives there, and I forget exactly what he said he pays for his housing, but I know that it made me want to punch him in the face. I was like, god damn it. That's what you pay for a bathroom. It was like 600 bucks or something for a one-bedroom. I almost passed out. Wow. Anyway. All right. All right. Listeners, if you don't live in the Bay Area, congratulations. If you do, keep going. Just good luck to you. Do your best. Do your best. We'll pray for you. <laughs> Should we right. get into our, our, our review of alcohol slash coffee? Yes. Okay. Uh, do you want to go first? Sure. So I, for the last about three and a half weeks have been on an alcohol bender where I've been getting wasted pretty much every single day to the max. And so this week I've decided that it's time to take a break (laughs) and I will for this episode and even potentially the next only be consuming coffee because my body can't take this anymore. So I am drinking, I'm actually super excited about this. I am drinking so start like I know basic bitch whatever I don't like Starbucks I would never go into a Starbucks and buy a coffee if I had another option however they sell an iced coffee in the stores that you can get in like a bottle in a grocery store and it's just like plain like mild iced coffee or medium roast or whatever and it's so freaking good it's way better than what they serve in the store so they sell them at big chain stores but I can never find them at the hold paycheck which is the only store I shop at because I'm bougie and now all of a sudden they carry them. And me and the girl at the checkout had a freaking heart attack over it. She's like, oh my God, I didn't know we carried these. And I was like, yeah, girl. Wait, so it is a, a Starbucks branded and bottled just plain iced coffee. Yeah, it's just the one that I get is medium roast. It's got like a caramel color. Is it in a cold section? Yeah, so it's if there's iced coffee or cold brew coffee in the store that you're at, it would be over there. It's like five bucks for a big ass bottle or like five fifty. Yeah, dude, super good. It's my favorite. 
It's um, way it's way better than what they have in their shops, which is weird. Well, and whenever I do go to a Starbucks, I only ever get iced coffee. Yeah. Yeah. Um, did I ever tell you that iced coffee doesn't exist outside of the United States? What? <laughs> That could be a bold-faced lie. Um, what I mean is, <laughs> iced coffee doesn't exist in Bali, Indonesia, or Australia. What? Because when I when I was over there, I religiously drink iced coffee, especially if I'm like in 99% humidity on a beach like I'm not getting a hot fucking coffee because what psychopath am I right and so whenever I ordered iced coffee in Bali or Australia I was given well first of all I was looked at like a psychopath and then they would bring to me basically like a, a, a glass of cold milk with like a shot of espresso in it oh gross it was fucking horrible so I suffered until I got to I think I was in Sydney, Australia, which was like, you know, halfway through my trip. And so I was like, fuck, there has to be a Starbucks in Sydney. Like, I'm going to go get my go-to iced coffee. Went to the Starbucks in Sydney, ordered an iced coffee, and I'm like, oh, can I get an iced coffee with a splash of soy? And he looked at me and he's like, so you want the soy in addition to the milk? And I'm like, no, I don't want milk. And he's like, well, what, the, like, we don't, what do you mean? Like, we're confused. Oh, my God. Yeah. It was that, really, really, really horrendous. That sounds terrifying. It was f- a nightmare. Pretty sure that's a war crime. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, if you ever go abroad, keep well, that in mind. Thanks for letting me know, because that's all I, I never drink hot coffee, because it never drops below, like, 87 degrees in New Orleans, so you'd be crazy to drink hot coffee here, but that's good to know, and very sad. Yeah, it was, it was horrible. (laughs) And, like, so unsatisfying when you, like, are dying for that perfect iced coffee, and then they give you this, like, cold milk with a shot of espresso. I don't even drink milk. Nobody does. Ever. Yeah. It's gross. It's it's cow nipple juice. It's fucking weird. I actually have some in my coffee right now, but like, <laughs> but it's good in coffee. It doesn't count. Um, sorry, I cut drinking? you off on your. I cut you off on your coffee review. Did you have more <laughs> no, to say? I'm sure. I think we've covered everything. <laughs> okay. Well, I um. I'm drinking, I I decided to mix it up today, and not really by, like, personal choice, more, like, podcast pressure. I was like, fuck, I need to stop drinking the same wine every goddamn Sunday. And so, I decided to get a rosé, which, like, I never drink rosé. Ever. And I was browsing the wines at the little shitty liquor store across the street, and this, of course, was so cute. I was like, oh, you have pink stripes, and you say rosé, I must buy you. Also has a nice sales tag on it. (laughs) Right, green? (laughs) Um, So yeah, I have something called a Charles & Charles Rosé 2016. It has, like, this cute American flag, but, like, it's not... It's, like, a pink flag, and then the branding is, like, where the stars would go. Like, because all of these things matter, obviously. Um, But it's a Columbia Valley, Washington State rosé, and it's 60% Syrah, 17% Grenache, 10% Cab Sauve, 10% something I can't pronounce, 2% Sin Salt, which I don't know what that is, and 1% Cow Noise, and I don't know what that is either. So... 
This is all very new to me. Fancy. Is um, it good? It's good. Yeah, it's pretty good. I think I'm I think I'm into it. But like we'll have to see how heavy the, the headache is in like 3 hours. Yeah. So I rosés are very very hit or miss for me. I've had a couple of really good ones in my life that I was like, "Fuck yeah, that's just that's delicious." But some of them are like, I don't know, I feel like some rosés taste like feet. This one doesn't taste so much like feet. Um it's good. I just, for whatever reason, I just feel like if I slam this whole bottle, I'm going to, like, not be feeling okay later. Yeah, you won't. You won't. Something's just telling me that. Yeah. That's, My intuition. Rosé is dangerous because you can drink it much more easily than a red, but it still has some of those shitty side effects of a red. So yeah. Rosé is dangerous, dude. So we'll see. I'm giving it a test run. Um, I love it. We've never had a rosé. I know. And it's good. I'm not unhappy. Cool. So, Yay. Okay, so I want to start off by saying I'm obsessed with my woman. She has been a huge role model of mine since I was a kid. Um, And just everything about her makes me so happy and almost emotional. And I really hope I don't cry because that would just be so against... All that is me. I hope you cry. <laughs> but um, I'm excited. So um, let's do I'm it. Ex- I'm excited. All right. So the person that I'm covering this week goes by the name of Alicia Beth Moore. But professionally, she's known as Pink. Oh, shit. Okay. I had no idea she was so important to you. Yes. She is one of my favorite female uh, musicians and celebrities and just like just influential people in the spotlight for all the reasons we're going to go into today. Yay, I'm excited. Um, I'm assuming everybody knows who Pink is, but if somebody doesn't, she is an American singer, songwriter, dancer, actress, and activist, Um, and she has been, you know, in the spotlight since around the millennium, which was in the whopping age of me being my angsty preteen years. Holy fuck, that was 18 years ago. Yeah. (laughs) holy shit how weird huh sorry guys um so yeah here's a little bit about her life um pink was born in 1979 in doylestown pennsylvania in a typical middle-class family in the suburbs her parents had a pretty intense relationship causing them to divorce when she was three years old And their divorce and terrible marriage sparked a pretty rebellious attitude from Pink at a very early age. She was quoted to say, I was never allowed to go over to any of my friends' houses when I was little because I was a bad influence. None of their their parents liked me, and my own parents were scared to death of me and for me. (laughs) Kind of sounds like my childhood a little bit. (laughs) And like... She had to have been young. Like, that that was, like, when she was kids. Like, you know, kids went to friends' houses and stuff. Like, yeah. she was that little piece of shit that all the moms were like, she's not allowed to come over. But, like, not at all surprising. Like, of no. course she would be. Of course she uh, would be. Not at all surprising. 
Um, even though her parents got a divorce, Pink was especially close with her father, who she didn't live with when, after the divorce, she lived with her mother first. Um, so she was close with him and he was a Vietnam War veteran and he taught her many survival skills as a child, um, (laughs) including, but not limited to basic fighting, how to use knives and guns. Oh God. And how to break a wrist. Holy fuck. Oh my god. What a family of salty ass dogs. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Um, So because of like that Rocky Mary, I, I know that her, I didn't read like in extensive detail, but based off of like some of the lyrics in her songs and like some of the things that she has said about her childhood like it sounds like her parents had a very volatile relationship mm-hmm. i i don't know if substance abuse was involved but it just sounds like one of those like enabling like chaotic just total like you know bashing things against the walls oh, types shit. of types of marriage and so like that that fucks people up like i mean so so basically the kind of marriage i'm trying to have and you probably are too (laughs) uh then they're done that (laughs) so she was she was pretty like you know heavily uh i i would say damaged in a sense at a young age due to what she had to witness and see and experience from her parents and so uh, pink obviously being pink was lashing out and she began to smoke cigarettes at nine years old oh my god no she got her tongue pierced and her first tattoo by the age of 12. Oh my god. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> so this is what the... Wait, this is the 80s then, right? Because she was born in the 70s? She was born in 79. Yeah, 79. So she, this had to have been oh. probably end of the 80s. Almost like maybe early, early 90s. 90s. This early is like 90s. the tail end of when kids could get away with shit like that. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, she was doing all kinds of fucked up shit, running away from the house, being a little bitch, like, getting tattoos and shit, just, like, completely going mayhem. Um, But Pink ended up finding solace in music at the age of 13, and that's when she began developing her voice. By the time she was 14, she was already an experienced vocalist and dancer, and she started to write her own songs. As a teenager, she wrote lyrics as an outlet for her feelings, and her mother once said that Pink's writings were always very introspective, but some of it was very black, very deep, and almost worrisome. Um, during her, poor her mother, I know. Could you imagine? <laughs> Stressful life. <laughs> um, during her teens, she had a regular singing gig every Friday night at a Philadelphia nightclub, but it proved to be pretty hard for her to manage, and she ultimately ended up being consumed by a world of drugs and petty crime, and nearly overdosed at the age of fifteen. Ooh, on what does it say? No, I don't know what. Um, she eventually dropped out of high school before returning back to get her GED later on in life. Um, Pink was in two R&B bands when she was a teenager. The first was called Basic Instinct, and the second was called Choice. 
both of the bands actually became like pretty successful but they just never like gained leverage like they had like signed record deals people liked their shit they were like outperforming but just like it just never like caught speed with the like the general public so they both fizzled out and after that happened she eventually decided to branch off and rebrand herself as pink which was a nickname that came from the movie Reservoir Dogs, whose character, Mr. Pink, is someone her friends all agreed she resembled. <laughs> Which I, I, I've seen that movie, but, like, so long ago. And I, like, can't even remember what he's like. I am, I don't want anyone to at me about this, but I've never seen that movie. So I have no You have it. never seen a movie in your life. <laughs> I haven't watched movies since 1994. <laughs> the last video game system I played was N64. Like, I'm stuck in time. So, yeah. Sorry, guys. Um, so, she started to record her first solo album called Can't Take Me Home that was released in the year 2000. And it was a total hit going double platinum and landed her a gig opening for the popular boy band in sync yes yes call us <laughs> we're still thinking about you <laughs> wait I what mean, album was that the one that had uh, no okay no so this was her very first album which i have no recollection of it okay i didn't i didn't start getting a hardcore pink fan until her second album that i'll tell you about in a little bit um but when i was reading about this i'm like i need to get a hold of that album because that's her number one freaking hit that got her opening for nsync like how do i not know any of these songs (sighs) So she was out there fucking shit up, uh, opening for NSYNC, and, like, despite the fact that she obviously had this, like, newfound fame and success, she was not satisfied, because she was really worried, I think, number one, opening for NSYNC, and NSYNC being who NSYNC is, like, you know, you're in, like, you're in that year 2000 when it's, like, Christina Aguilera, Britney Spears, Backstreet Boys, NSYNC, TLC, like, it's, like, all of these, like, major people happening at once. And, like, as far as the women go during that time period, they were all, like, solo, pop, you know, sexy artists. Mm -hmm. And Pink was, like, getting her, you know, newfound fame during this time. And she was, like, not trying to be about that life. Right. And she was super worried that, like, fuck, like, I'm stoked that, like, my album's a hit and, like, I'm out here opening for NSYNC. But, like, I'm not trying to get some, like, bimbo pop you know, singer bullshit type reputation. So she was, like, really worried that she was going to be lumped in with all the, like, super gorgeous, over-sexualized pop singers who were dominating the market, but she really wanted her sound and her reputation to be, like, much edgier and deeper. And so when she was asked about her first hit album, she was quoted to say, there was no blood, sweat, or tears on my first album, and no emotional exchange between me and the musicians so like obviously she like wrote that album but like wasn't even down with it now i want to hear that shit i know me too but you know what? it was probably one of those things where she like got her record deal was like branching out from the r&b they were like let's brand you let's create an image and they were like here play these songs and like maybe they some of it were her lyrics but it probably wasn't like 100 percent reflective of her 
So she ended up finding a little bit more of what she was looking for in 2001, a year later, during a collaboration with Christina Aguilera, Maya, and Lil' Kim for the remake of Lady Marmalade. fucking badass betches moment dude when that song came out and that video came out i fucking died i was like 11 years old it was every big pop star at that moment that actually had good vocals no offense britney and like oh it was oh it was everything it was epic and she was she was part of it and i think the best thing about that like that crew is that they were all so fucking different and i think that's what made them like just like everybody fall in love was that every time one of them stepped up for their singing part they were just their own identity that was polar opposite from the person before or after them so and so like i think that kind of helped pink be her original self um and so that that was released the same year as her second album or i'm sorry that was released the same year as her second single from her second album, which was the song was Get the Party Started. Right. That instantly climbed to top five on the radio. Next, she released her album Misunderstood. <laughs> Wait, to the listeners at home, Melissa just did this little like neck wiggle as she said that. There's some motion in the ocean. Because this was my jam! <laughs> Oh my god. Misunderstood went on to sell more than 10 million copies and was the album that instantly caused me to fall in love with Pink. Yes. Um, This album was more like rock infused and um, it was just like any kid that like well first of all like I probably was maybe in 7th grade. I don't even know. But like if you were my age and you were living in like a house of like fucking dysfunction and then you like listen to this misunderstood album where pink is literally just singing her heart out about the same shit you're dealing with in your life like the like what that did for me yeah fucking forty five thousand years later has not gone away yeah no i grow like i was 12 or 13 or whatever the fuck i was when that came out same exact thing she was so angry she and was there so angry and there weren't any angry female pop stars they were all like boop 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 like how to be cute and she was like Bleh, came out looking butch as shit just telling <laughs> you what the fuck it was i now know <laughs> i know that is like forever I, re- I i swear to god i think i had that on cassette like i think <laughs> i have like a tape of that album wait so for anyone who's listening under the age of like 25 a cassette was <laughs> little weird plastic thing that you put in a (laughs) also that like maybe we're just saying this goes without saying but i want to say like pink has some of the best vocals i feel like of any singer of that generation and i feel like she doesn't get enough credit for that she's fucking incredible and why doesn't she get enough credit for that because she is that she's not the little bimbo exactly called it yeah exactly which is why i fucking love her so much word um so yeah the misunderstood album was more rock infused as was her next album called try which landed her a grammy for best female rock vocal performance for her single trouble oh shit i didn't know that 
In 2006, she uh, released her fourth album called I'm Not Dead, which seemed to be the most honest lineup of songs to date. The record included a number one hit single called Stupid Girls, which very deliberately poked fun at the societal infatuation with female celebrity represent- representation such as like Paris Hilton. Mm-hmm. Um so she was like she got some backlash on that because you know obviously people are like fuck you pink like you can't talk shit on girls and she was like quoted to say like it was more of a social commentary on these girls who think they have to be stick thin and have the latest handbag there's nothing wrong with being sexy but you have to be sexy for yourself and not society and so yeah what year did that come out? Uh, 2006. Oh, so that was, like, right at the height of Paris Hilton, Nicole. Oh, yeah. Like that whole, yeah. Oh, yeah. What a weird time. I know. Time. And so before we started, I quickly went to go re-listen to that song, and it popped up the music video on YouTube. And, like, the whole thing is, like directed and produced is, like, a satire. And it's, like, a comedy. But, like, the way that it's like videotaped is it shows images of women doing things for the men around them and so like her the point that she's making is like stop being a stupid fucking chick like stop altering yourself stop changing yourself to get this person's attention like that's not what being a woman is and so well i mean with within that though like obviously she was in a sense kind of like poking at the other women in that time period who were doing just that right and so people were pissed she was so that makes me mad too because five like or maybe seven years later people have been all over that shit like white on rice right i know she's ahead of her time she was yeah super still ahead of her time yeah so she went on to release several more albums and she continues to slay the music world today uh this just this year she performed at the grammys and she sang the national anthem at the super bowl a few days later she has sold over 40 million albums and 50 million singles worldwide making her one of the world's best-selling music artists her career includes three grammy awards a brit award a Daytime Emmy Award, and seven MTV Video Music Awards. Wait, inclu- what is her Emmy Award for? I don't know. An, was she on TV? I, okay, sorry. Maybe. Holy shit. Okay, sorry. Um, including the Video Vanguard Award. In 2009, Billboard named Pink the pop song's artist of the decade. Pink was also the second most played female solo artist in the United Kingdom during the 2000s decade behind Madonna. Oh, shit. VH1 ranked her number 10 on their list of the 100 greatest women in music, while Billboard awarded her the Woman of the Year Award in 2013. At the 63rd Annual BMI Pop Awards, she received the BMI President's Award for her outstanding achievement in songwriting and global impact on pop culture and the entertainment industry. Pink is known for her edgy, raspy, and husky voice who can outsing almost anyone. She's also known to put on incredible performances at her concerts, often while doing trapeze acts in the air. <laughs> yes! One of her most notable acts was performing a song while blindfolded and upside down on a trapeze. 
No big deal. <laughs> no big deal, guys. No big deal at all. Um, did you find that Emmy award? She, yeah, so she wrote the theme song, wrote and performed the theme song for the Ellen Show, and that's oh, what she wanted no for. Oh, Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. Okay. So that's just a little, that's basically all the info on her career, but I also love Pink just for everything in her personal life, which I'm going to get to next. Um, so she's an animal rights activist and a prominent campaigner for PETA. She is outspoken about LGBT rights and supports same-sex marriage. She has also stated that she doesn't define her own sexuality as she's never really felt like she needed to. She's involved with several charities and donates large sums of money for disaster relief. Pink is very different from typical pop artists, starting with her fashion style. She has stated in several several interviews that she quote is eclectic i'm a tomboy but i'm also kind of a hippie and kind of a gangster i don't know if that's a good thing but it's my thing (laughs) sounds about right yeah so pink met professional motocross racer carrie hart in the 2001 x games and they began dating They had a brief breakup in 2003, and in 2005, Pink proposed to him during during a Mammoth Lake motocross race. So he was, like, in the middle of his race, flying around, you know, doing what he's doing, and she, like, stands on the sidelines with a board that says, will you marry me, question mark? I'm serious, exclamation point. Oh, my God. (laughs) And so, like, he didn't see it at first, because he's, like, in a fucking race, you know? And so he's, like, going around this track and doesn't even notice her standing there with this will you marry me sign. And then finally he ends up seeing it, and he veers off the track and runs up to her and says yes. Which just, like, of course she asked him to marry her. Right. You know? Right. It's just, like, she's always going against the grain. Like, whatever is expected from a woman, she's going to do the opposite. I feel like if someone were to propose to her, she would just punch him in the face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's just, like, so fucking confident and, like, I, I want to marry you, so I'm going to. Like, what do I have to wait for, you know? Yeah. Like, why should I have to sit here and wait for you to pop a question? Like, no, Get I'm going to do it. So, they end up... Uh, getting married in 2006 in Costa Rica, but in 2008, Pink announced that they had separated. Oh. Um, the couple sought marriage counseling, like, for a very long time, which I think is really great. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like I feel like people just get so, like, you know, disheartened by whatever shit they're going through. They're just like, fuck it, we're out. Yeah. And, like... For them to publicly announce a separation and then, like, take a long period of time for, like, counseling and therapy to work through their shit, they got back together two years later. Oh, like shit. they they And they've since, now they're together forever. But, like, oh. they had, like, a very, two, I think they had a two-year gap of, like, a separation, and they... They, they were separated, but they were both actively working on, like, getting through their problems, and they fucking did it, and so in 2010, they confirmed they were back together, and then later that same year, Pink announced that she was pregnant with her first child, daughter, Willow Sage, and... <laughs> 
Six years later, she gave birth to their second child, son, Jameson Moon. <laughs> I love that there is a Jameson in the middle. Right? So, um, it's so funny. Like, I don't, I, for whatever reason, I'm just, like, obsessed with her marriage with Carrie Hart. Like, I think, I think it's because they're both famous. Like, he's super famous in, like, the athletic world or whatever. Mm -hmm. And I don't know. I think, like, like, I think there's a lot to say about him in this partnership where, like, you know, Pink is obviously famous. She's successful. She's done all these great things. But, like, she's so strong and so vocal and so courageous. And she physically looks, you know, as what people would assume to be less feminine than the norm. And um, she's never going to not be that way. And, like, obviously that's something that he loves, And, like, I just think that that's so awesome to see a guy in the spotlight who's, like, in a very testosterone-fueled industry. Right, right. And, like, for him to, like, have this wife who, you know, is going against the norm of what it means to be a woman and what it means to look like a woman and for him to, you know, not give a shit. Like, I fucking love that. But so she says the funniest fucking thing about him. <laughs> that, like, is my whole life. Like, I could have just written, I could have written this myself. This, this could have been a direct quote out of my mouth. So, like, there's been, always been a lot of interviews about, like, your marriage, how do you get through it? Like, because she's very vocal about it not being perfect, which I think is another great thing. Because, you know, you get all these celebrities and these relationships and they just put on this fake show on Instagram and it's just like, mm-hmm. let's make the whole world see how fantastic we are and pink has never done that in fact after they separated she immediately wrote a song i can't remember what it's called but it just bashed the fuck out of him (laughs) bashed the fuck out of him like didn't give a fuck and the ironic part about it was that she then got him to play in the music video (laughs) oh my god (laughs) what is he into i love it so In some interview, they're talking to her about, like, how do you make it work? Like, blah, blah, blah. She says, quote, There are moments where I look at him and I think he is the most thoughtful, logical, constant. He's like a rock. He's a good man. He's a good dad. He's just the kind of dad I thought he'd be and then some. And then I'll look at him and go, I've never liked you. There's... (laughs) There's nothing I like about you. We have we have nothing in common. I don't like any of this shit you like. I don't ever want to see you again. Then two weeks later, I'm like, things are so good, you guys. <laughs> I've never related to anything more in my oh, life. Oh. Yeah. Damn. So she describes their relationship as him being the rock and her being the storm. And they've eventually, over time, I think they've been together like 14 years now, they've made it work by learning the art of communication. Mm-hmm. So another cool thing about her, Pink is a vocal supporter of attachment parenting. Have you heard of that? Mm-mm. So it's basically just the idea of, like, your parenting style would include plenty of physical contact, and it focuses on nurturing connection, um, which is viewed as the ideal way to raise secure and independent and empathetic children. Yeah, definitely never heard of that. Yeah, right? I know. (laughs) 
Um, all I've all I remember is silent treatment growing up. <laughs> um, so yeah, the, she's like very vocal about raising her children that way. Like she, I think it's almost like I wouldn't say like a coddling thing, but it's just like. Especially when raising boys, like, I think it's just the idea behind, like, we can love and touch and nurture and, like, and care, and that, like, it helps you develop into somebody that can care about other people, which is something I really struggle with. (laughs) (laughs) My parents really dropped the ball with the silent treatment parenting style. Um... And she is also vocal about raising her children in a labelless household. So she says that she does not want her children to be defined by traditional gender roles. She wants her kids to be exactly who they are, and she doesn't want them to be limited by boundaries. So, like, I guess in their home, as they're raised, I don't know if she goes as far as, like, eliminating pronouns, but they just don't pay attention to anything that would be, like, gender-related. Sweet. So it, it's just kind of like a free-for-all. Like, whatever you want to wear, you wear. Like, whatever you want to call yourself, you call yourself. Like, it's That's just awesome. be be what you are. And so she also revealed that her daughter, Willow, has once told her that she wanted to marry an African woman when she grows up. <laughs> to which Pink responded, great, can you teach me how to make African food? <laughs> so, lastly... Well, not 100% lastly, but in 2017, Pink won the award at the MTV Video Music Awards. It was um, it was the VMA Video Vanguard, Vanguard Award. And so this was just last year. And she accepted this award and she gave a very groundbreaking speech to her daughter on the stage and it's like uh, literally i cry every time and i remember the first time i saw this i was like sobbing and like even just watching it like now before we start crying um but it's so great because i'm gonna play the clip so that you can hear her talking and like giving the speech but definitely watch it with your own eyeballs because it like shoots back to the that like where the guests are sitting so you can see her husband sitting with the daughter while they're watching her give this speech and it's just like also her daughter is like in a suit which is adorable and she's probably no older than like seven or eight i don't know but she's wearing like a suit and her husband is there holding the daughter and it's just fucking adorable and so normally i would just read these out loud but i could never do this justice so i'm gonna play the clip and um try not to cry so here we go all right thank you um if i may i i I just broke it i i just broke it Um, I know I don't have a lot of time, but if I may tell you a quick story. Um, Recently, I was driving my daughter to school, and she said to me, out of the blue, Mama, say yes, baby. She said, I'm the ugliest girl I know. And I said, huh? And she was like, yeah, I look like a boy with long hair. And my brain went to, oh my God, you're six, why... 
where is this coming from? Who said this? Can I kick a six-year-old's ass? Like, what? <laughs> but I didn't say anything, and instead I went home, and I made a PowerPoint presentation for her. And in that presentation were androgynous rock stars and artists that live their truth, are probably made fun of every day of their life, and carry on and wave their flag and inspire the rest of us. And these are artists like Michael Jackson and David Bowie and Freddie Mercury and Annie Lennox and Prince and Janis Joplin and George Michael, Elton John. Um, so many artists. There was, it was Her eyes glazed over. Um, but then I said, you know, I really want to know why you feel this way about yourself. And she said, well, I look like a boy. And I said, well, what do you think I look like? And she said, well, you're beautiful. And I was like, well, thanks. <laughs> but I said, when people make fun of me, it's, that's what they use. They say that I look like a boy or I'm too masculine or I'm too, I have too many opinions. I, my body is too strong. And I said to her, I said, do you see me growing my hair? She said, no, mama. I said, do you see me changing my body? No, mama. Do you see me changing the way I present myself to the world? No, mama. Do you see me selling out arenas all over the world? Yes, mama. Okay, so, baby girl, we don't change. We take the gravel in the shell and we make a pearl. And we help other people to change so that they can see more kinds of beauty. And to all the artists here, I'm so inspired by all of you. Thank you for being your true selves and for lighting the way for us. I'm so inspired by you guys. There's so much rad happening right now in music. And keep doing it. Keep shining for the rest of us to see. And you, my darling girl, are beautiful. And I love you. Thank you, MTV. This is a really special night. Thank you, Ellen. I couldn't love you more. Thank you, guys. Good night. Hi. Okay. Hello. Did you hear it? I did. I love it. Do you see me? Do you see Mama selling out arenas? <laughs> She's like this. Sit down. So good. I so I started whenever that clip was circulating on the internet. I started watching it, and then pretty much two sentences in, I turned it off because I knew I was gonna cry. <laughs> I was just like, gotta go. See you later. And I never listened to it. So thank you for making me listen to it. That's so sweet. Uh, it was just so good, and I mean, I don't. It's just like, who else is doing this? I know. Who else is accepting an award and getting on stage and fucking, like, bringing to light these types of struggles that women deal with from a young age? Yeah. Like, it's just insane. Yeah. And so, and this was just last year, and I think it's just such, like, a perfect representation of who she is and what she stands for and how she's trying to change the world just through her own children and, like, make, just fix shit. Right, right. Right. Um, so just to end, of course, I always love ending on a couple of quotes. So here are three quotes that she has that I love. The first one is, you can't move mountains by whispering at them. Mm. The second is, I wish that girls embraced their power and their worth and their value in their youth and not sell it or barter it for anything and have to buy it back later in life. Mm. I 
I wish for my daughter to grow up in a world where wonderful publications celebrate them for their originality, their individuality, their willingness to be true to themselves, and the courage to be scary and emotional to get shit done. I wish for women to stop apologizing for those very things that make us women. And the last one, to experience the good, you have to have seen the bad. Plus, it makes you appreciate blessings more. Tough times taught me to be a fighter. Yes! <laughs> yes! <laughs> so, what do you think her zodiac Holy sign is? Holy fuck. So, throughout this whole thing, I've had, like, three different thoughts. Like, first I was like, oh, she has to be this, and then she has to be that. So there are like three I have in mind, and I almost want to ask for a hint, but I think I'm just going to start guessing. Start guessing, and then if you need a hint. Is she a Sagittarius? No. Is she an air sign? No. Is she Scorpio? No. I have... Is she Virgo? She's a Virgo. Ah! And guess what? What? We have the same birthday. Shut up! Oh my god, she's your twin! September 8th, motherfuckers. Damn, she really is your woman. You love her! You're like the same person! I can't believe the I made a PowerPoint didn't give it away for you. Well, so, okay, there were so many things. (laughs) There were so many things, because her, like, the attitude piece, I was like, oh, she has to be a fire sign, she has to be a Sagittarius, just, like, the way she moves through the world. But then you told me about, but then she's also, like, really rough, and I was, but also really loving, so I was like, oh, Scorpio. But then, when you told me that quote about her hating her boyfriend, I was like, she might be a Gemini or a Virgo, because (laughs) that, like, flip-flopping. So, uh, Yeah. Yep, she's our first Virgo. Holy shit. We got all the way to episode seven without any Virgos. You know well, what? I bet she other has than a Sagittarius me. moon. I, have, I bet she has a Sagittarius moon just like you. Could you imagine that? I would, it would die. It explain a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it explains me a lot. So. I know. <laughs> oh my god, you guys are the same person. I know. I love her. She's well, I love person. her. I'm so glad. I like since not enough people listen to this podcast. I don't think we're going to get sued over that clip, so we should be fine. Oh, is that a thing? I don't fucking know. This is why we need to start sleeping with attorneys so we can ask them these questions. Yuck. Well, you know that's your job. I know. I'll work on it later. So, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's it. So, this is about to be our pop episode, because I am also going to talk about a female pop star. Woo! And I'm going to do something a little bit different. I'm going to talk, everybody who is anybody knows who this is, and I want to focus specifically on one of her albums that was fucking phenomenal. Okay. And we are going to talk today about Miss Janet Jackson. Yes. And her album, The Velvet Rope. Yes. Now, I will say, we were going to do this episode last week when it was a little bit more appropriate because of the Cancer New Moon. So that was like also partially why I chose this. So it's going to be a little late by the time it posts, but it's super relevant for that new moon because the Velvet Rope is some deep ass shit. So this album, do you know the Velvet Rope? 
Probably so the song, not. so the song "Together Again," which is like the big, big song from that album, was on that album. <laughs> um, together again, what I want is together again, baby. And she's like dancing. No, okay. Uh, and she also did a pretty famous cover of uh, "Don't Know What You've Got Till It's Gone," and that's on that album too. But there's, a, it's a huge fucking album. Anyway, so The Velvet Rope was released in 1997, and the reason I'm going to talk about this album is because she released it at like 30 or 31 when she was dealing with all of the shit that was coming up from her childhood, all of this pain that she hadn't processed, and it was kind of like this whole shedding moment for her. So it's already just something that really resonates with me, but also it kind of became a template for artists like Pink moving forward who would release these kind of self-confessional, darker, more psychological albums. Like, everybody kind of used her as inspiration for that. And now every recording artist who has more than three albums does an album like that. Where they go into... I don't know what Pink's album would be. What would Pink's Mm. album be? Where she went, like, all the way deep. Um, fuck. I had... I think I had said it. It was... You did. Um... It was something I can't remember. Well. I don't know. Whatever. Either way, probably partially inspired by the fucking Velvet Row. Okay. So, this album was released in 1997. It was her sixth studio album. And already what makes this album badass is that at the time... So, in 95, her record deal with Virgin ran out. Like, her contract was finished. And so, she went into this bidding war where all of these record labels were trying to get her on. At that time, besides maybe Madonna, she is the most successful, most famous female pop star of her time. So, she ends up re-signing with Virgin for a record-breaking contract of $80 million. So that beat out... The the existing record was her brother, Michael Jackson, at $60 million, and Madonna at $60 million. And, and she surpassed... 80? $80 million, oh, girl. Wow. Everybody wanted a piece of Janae. And that was the second time in her career that she broke that record. So I forget what the other album was, but she heard the last time she had signed a contract, she broke records. So she was like a big fucking deal. Which, like, duh. But she's kind of, like, gone into hiding. And so, like, you forget about how amazing she was. So the the Velvet Rope is her album where she starts bringing up all of the stuff that's resurfacing from her past. It's the mid-90s. So for her, she's 20, like, late 20s, early 30s, which is, like, when we're all dealing with shit that we've been suppressing since our childhood and our livers can't take the alcohol we've been consuming anymore, we actually have to deal with our problems. So Janet Jackson was the same. She's in her late 20s, early 30s. She's dealing with all this stuff from her childhood that she had to push aside because she was a performer and she just had to work and she just had to do her stuff. She was dealing with things like body dysmorphia she had eating disorders she was self-harming herself she was still even though it had been several years she got married at the age of 16 to who to a singer named where he go sorry can I lost you even it. do that so you can do it i think well it depends on what state you live in because some of these states down here in the South are like, marry off your 12-year-olds. But I think all you need is parental permission, and you can do it. So she married 
His name was James DeBarge. He was a singer. You know that song, Feel the Heat and the Rhythm of the Night? Yeah. He's one of the, he's one of the people on that song. Oh, wow. But he was, like, super addicted to drugs and was super fucking abusive, like, would beat her ass. And so I think they divorced within a, a matter of months. Like, they oh weren't even God. together for a full year. But I was watching an interview of hers, and she was talking about how it was her way out of her family. It was her way out of the Jackson life was for her yeah. to just get married. And she'd had such a sheltered life because all she was doing was performing all the time. And they were, I don't know if you know this, but the Jacksons are Jehovah's Witnesses. I didn't know that. I didn't know Yes. That. Yes. So she was raised, she didn't have her first birthday party until she was 23 years old. Isn't that oh nuts? God. Yeah. That also explains a lot. Wait, anyway. why don't they let them have birthday parties? So Jehovah's Witness, I can answer this because I dated a Jehovah's Witness in high school, believe it or fucking not. <laughs> they can't celebrate any holidays because the idea is that you're putting, you're celebrating something above God. Like you're putting some more importance on this thing or on your life. Like, oh, you're super special for being born. It's just uh, some bullshit that they uh, use so that they don't have to buy birthday presents. Um, Yeah, we are special for being born, you yeah. motherfucker. God made me, bitch. Sorry. Sorry to, all our Je- <laughs> Sorry to our Jehovah's Witness fan base. <laughs> There's a lot of y'all out there. <laughs> I dated a Jehovah's Witness. Honestly, that doesn't show. surprise me. I would imagine you met that Jehovah's Witness and you were like, I'm going to date you specifically because you're different. So let's get it on. <laughs> yeah. We used to have fights about the Bible. Great shit. I was Obviously I was... you did not fornicate. No. <laughs> we didn't. We didn't. We didn't. We did everything but. It was in high school. We did everything but. Okay. <laughs> not for my lack of asking though. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, back to Janet Jackson. Um, so she releases, she decides to do this album that addresses all of these things that she's been pushing back, this abusive relationship. And like, he literally beat the shit out of her. Like when she told him she was going to leave him, he beat her ass. So this wasn't just like, oh, he was verbally abusive. Not, not that that's just, but this dude was like super toxic and abusive and drunk and just a piece of shit. James DeBarge, fuck you. Um, But also, hopefully, you work that out. So the velvet rope is supposed to be a metaphor for the emotional barrier that we don't let other people cross. So just like you would see a velvet rope at an awards show separating the crowds and the celebrities, that's why she named the, the album The Velvet Rope. And some of her album art, in true Janet Jackson fashion is like very risque. So they show a lot of kind of like bondage evocative photos in the album art. There's a, you know, like her and her famous nipple piercings. There's uh-huh. a shirt that she's wearing and just like the nipple ring is out over the shirt. So <laughs> she's just like bearing it all for you bitches. And so she chose in that album, there's a lot of kind of, I don't know if you would call it Afro-futuristic, but she has this aesthetic for all of the videos in that album that's a lot of, like, Asian-African fusion. She's just kind of, like, doing weird things. It was the late 90s. Everybody had, like, dragon shirts and Chinese symbols going on. You know what I mean? And Mm -hmm. she was all about that shit. And one of the things that she did was choose a symbol for the album, and she chose the Sankofa, which is kind of like, it almost looks like a tree curling in on itself. And the word Sankofa, I'm probably going to say this wrong, is from the Chui language of Ghana. 
I listened to a YouTube video like five times to get that right. And <laughs> the translation of Sankofa in Chuyi is to go back and get it. So the symbol and philosophy of Sankofa is associated with a Ghanaian proverb. It is not wrong to go back for that which you have forgotten, which is partially why this would have been so perfect for the Cancer New Moon, because it's yeah. all about returning to these things that that like hang on you and that are very sentimental and kind of heavy for you from your past. So she chose that symbol for her album, which I thought was super fucking cool. Um, and just the album itself was so fucking risque for its time, which duh, it's Janet Jackson, but she talks about, so she has a song called what about that's all about her abusive relationship. She's super explicit in it. She says things like, what about the time you hit me in the face or something like that. She says like, what about the time you said you didn't fuck up? She only gave you head. Like she just goes in. Yeah. She gets like very explicit in her lyrics in this album. She talks about, uh, like gay relationships. She talks a lot about bondage in that album. There's a song called rope burn. She's getting So yeah, she goes into like this deep emotional territory and this really sexual erotic territory. There's uh, the song Together Again that I was telling you about. I fucking love that song. It's basically a song about someone you love that you've lost, but it's very happy and upbeat. So it's not like a sad, like, oh, I lost this person. It's so different. I love it. And that song she actually wrote specifically about friends that she lost to AIDS because it's like the mid-90s. And yeah. yeah. Um, So she's talking about all these things that at that time were so really risque. She does a cover of Tonight's the Night which I think is a Rod Stewart song, if I'm not wrong, but it talks about a woman. So it's like she's talking about the sexual experience and this fantasy she's having, but she keeps using like she and her. So that was super risque. And she actually got the Velvet Rope banned in Singapore because they (gasps) thought it was too gay. Whoa. Yeah. Dude, Singapore's nuts. I was only there. I was only there for three hours at one in the morning. I never left the airport. But that place is fucking crazy. Like what? What do you mean? Like you can get arrested if you're like if you spit on the like sidewalk. Fuck that. They're super hardcore into like cleanliness and like organization, and um, you could literally live in that airport. They had like every single anemone you'd ever want, like like a nap room, like all Mm. kinds of shit. I was just saying to someone that they should have nap rooms at every airport, just publicly accessible. Like I would pay for them. Yeah. Fuck yeah. Take take 20 bucks so I can take an hour nap between flights. Hell yeah. I have my money. (laughs) Um, It sounds like a Virgo's paradise. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty much. Uh, So because of all of those kind of homoerotic references in that album, she won the Glad Media Award for Outstanding Music in, I think it was 97, 98 for her album. And actually, Janet Mock, who is a very famous transgender writer, activist, all-around beautiful woman, she actually named herself, be- at, like, Janet because of The Velvet Rope by Janet Jackson, which oh, I did wow. not know. Yeah. Look her up. She's gorgeous. She has a lot of, she has a lot of great writing out there, too. So another thing that I love about this album is that just like our podcast, it's long form. So (laughs) this was like the late 90s when you had interludes. Do you remember interludes, dude? Nobody does those anymore. Not really. Yeah, but it was kind of like an R&B thing, I guess, more than... Like, TLC always had interludes on their albums. Like, between each song, there was an interlude? Not necessarily every song. 
But some songs would just be like a 40-second interlude or something. God, I don't remember that. Yeah, dude. It was big in the 90s. Huh. Yeah, it just tied the album together. It was so cool. So between all the interludes and all the tracks, it's a 22-track album. Wow. Which is like super long. I think these days you only do like two songs and that's a whole album. Like every album now is six minutes long. But it was just like, I don't know. I The reason I wanted to talk about her and mine's going to be pretty short today is just that it was erotic. It was confessional. It was raw. It was super dark, but also really uplifting. She was talking about things that people weren't singing about in songs. She There's a whole song dedicated to her inner child. She wrote a song about online. Her song, Empty, is about online dating in like 97, bro. She's wow. straight up. And it's all about how empty the connection is when you find people through the internet and like through these avatars. And I was like, holy mm-hmm. shit, that was like 20 years in advance. She called what was going to happen to all of us. So yeah, it's like, if you haven't listened to it, girl, get yourself a bottle of wine, get yourself a bottle of rosé, lay in your bathtub or whatever you have and listen to the velvet rope. Cause it's totally good. Yeah. That's kind of it. I feel like that was way too short. That was like 12 minutes. Well, I have a question. Yeah, I was all over the place. What's up? Um, Have you, in, like, researching Janet Jackson, did you come up on any info about her famous uh, nipple flashing at the Super Bowl? So, I wasn't going to bring it up, but I'm glad you did, because I have a lot to fucking say about that shit. Well, so do I. So, my thing is, she got all the flack for something she didn't do. Mm Mm-hmm. Because JT was the one who snatched her nipple out. Yes. And yet nobody seems to be mad at him. Well, and he also continues to get invites to come back to the Super Bowl and perform. Right. Guess who, guess who else doesn't? Right. Yeah. Right. Also, can we take this opportunity to talk about the fact that I fucking hate Justin Timberlake? Who doesn't? Have He's you seen a- that, like, lumberjack outfit on his newest <laughs> album? His entire career is built on the backs of women. The only reason he has a solo career is because of Britney Spears and Cry Me a River. Yeah. That's it. And to this day, I'm going in. We are not editing this out. To this day, he talks shit about Britney Spears in interviews. Because like, he has legit. to. It, Let it, go- to, it fuels his fire. It fuels exactly. his like, relevance. Let it go, bro. Like, she should be claiming him on her income taxes. Like, 100 <laughs> fucking percent. God, he's going to ride that till the end. I was, like, drunk and high as fuck at the Super Bowl. (laughs) I wasn't at the Super Bowl, but at the bar on Super Bowl Sunday. And I was just, like, screaming at the television during the halftime show. (laughs) Oh, yeah, because he performed. He did. And and he had a Prince hologram, even after Prince's estate was like, don't do that. He was like, whatever. Like, you, oh, yeah, bro, because you're so Prince. Get the fuck out. Anyway. Yeah. Fuck Justin uh, Timberlake. So what? Janet Jackson's just like on like the low low right now? Well, so she had a baby. So she's like early 50s now and still looks great. She had a baby like two, a year ago, two years ago, which is kind of nuts because she's yeah. a little bit old for baby time. But she had a baby. She was going to go on a world tour and then she canceled because she found out she was pregnant. So she's still out there. She's still making albums. I mean, I have no doubt either that she'd be the type of artist that could be like, I'm going on tour, and then everyone would buy tickets. Yeah. Like, well, and you I, could charge $100 million and somebody would pay for them. Yeah. Yeah. 
How crazy. Something I loved about her too is like, and this is another thing that I feel like you don't see anymore in these pop stars is the fucking dance break. Like true dancing, not like grinding at the camera, popping your butt, you know, but actual like eight counts choreographed. She's a dancer. Yeah, she, she I watched the video where she, I think it's the MTV VMAs where she does a tribute to her brother after he died. And at that point she's in her forties and she's just like busting out the moves. Like it's 1991. <laughs> like she does like a drop to the floor and like twist back up. Like that whole family can dance, dude. Like, they are not fucking around. Those Jehovah's witnesses, bro. Like, <laughs> They can fucking do an eight count like nobody's so, business. So are they still Jehovah's Witnesses? I, that I don't know. I think so, though. I think so. I think the parents are. But, you know, LaToya became a psychic. and Did she? Yeah. Yes, she was like a famous celebrity psychic. I had no idea. Yeah, and she said so, she started talking shit about MJ at some point. I forget when, but it was, you know, maybe in the mid nineties when all his scandals were coming out about the, about the kids. Yeah. And I think like she sold him out a little bit and had like a split with the family, but I think they got back together. Yeah. Wild. I actually saw, what is the name of that fucking town in SoCal? I've seen their compound. They have like a Jackson compound. What is that city? Uh, It's like somewhere between the Valley and LA, which is like a huge... chunk of land somewhere on the 405 that's all i know between the valley and not woodland hills it's not woodland hills topanga calabasas encino studio city it might be encino i don't remember this was 100 years ago anyway their house is just like a house it's kind of big, but it's not anything. It's not a mansion. Yeah. Very, very tall fences, though. So psychos like me can't see. <laughs> it was my friend's idea. She was like, we're here. I was like, I mean, yeah, why not? Let's stop by. Maybe it was Topanga. Topanga? Yeah. Topanga's a thing. It might have been there. Calabasas? I don't know. There's too many names. Other thing, too. The last thing I want to say about the album. Well, it doesn't even make sense. Whatever. But... I love this really resonated with me right now. It took her two years to record it in its entirety because she was just going through so much shit. She was just like, there were just stretches at a time where she wouldn't show up to the studio. So her like rock star production team, which was Jimmy jam and Terry Lewis, Jimmy jam said of that album, he said it was a tough album to make for her. There were times where she would not show up at the studio for five or six days in a row. So they'd just be, like, at the studio waiting for her, and she'd just be gone. Oh, my God. (laughs) Dealing with her shit, which resonates with me, because that's how I work. Fuck. I don't... I don't... So I don't know how I'm going to guess the Zodiac sign. You... I don't know how you would either. Like, even knowing what you would know about her because she's famous, it's going to be a hard guess. Um, I guess, like... I'm just going to shoot for the stars right now. Is she a Scorpio? No. Hmm. Give me an element. She's Earth. Earth. Yeah, I know. Taurus? Yes. Yes. Yeah. May 16th. Would never have guessed that, though. I would have never guessed that, but out of all of the the Earth, I would say that, just because Taurus is such, like, a sexualized sign. 
See, I feel like that's Capricorn, though. No? Taurus is always getting the fuck fuck on. (laughs) They love every... Tauruses love everything indulgent. So, like, food, sex, like, passion. Like, that's, like, the train they roll on. For sure. And she's pretty pretty sexualized. Yeah, for sure. Interesting. I just think of... I think Capricorns are, like, freaky-deaky. Like, secretly freaky-deaky. Capricorn? Yeah. Well, my foot fetish guy was a Capricorn. There you go. The... The freakiest guy I've been with, we'll just say it that way, was a Capricorn. <laughs> He's fun. <laughs> oh, I love it. Oh, he's in a weird shit, guys. Um, do we have any women of the week? We do. I do. Do you? I don't think I do. Should we? But you could give yours. Well, okay, so I read a book this past week that I really fucking loved called Introvert Power because I am fully stepping into my power as an introverted person, realizing that's what I am. Even though I'm not shy and I'm really outgoing, I love like hiding in my house and working on shit. And I thought that I was crazy. And then I read this book by Lori Helgo. She's my woman of the week. Where she and she just says like she's a very smart woman, very good writer, has a great sense of humor, and she just talks about she just like gave words to all of these things that I thought made me a contradiction. I thought made me crazy, and she's like, no, bitch, you're just an introvert. Like lean into that shit. And uh, and when I was on my trip to Portland this weekend, actually there were times because we were it was like eight of us all in one big Airbnb. And there were a lot of times where I just needed to go retreat and I let myself do it because I just read this book and I felt really empowered by it. There was one time we were at a brewery and I like needed a break and I was like, hey guys, like I'm going to go for a walk. And everybody's like, okay, cool. And I just went for a walk and like went and got a mimosa somewhere and then met back up with them like an hour later and... And I didn't feel weird about it, and I felt super badass about it. It was just the same thing as getting up and going to the bathroom. I was taking care of the sneed, and I don't think I ever would have done that before had it not been for Miss Lori Helgo, PhD. So thank you, Lori. You're my that's woman awesome. of the week. Yeah, that's a really good book. Um, I guess I do have a woman of the week. Um, so it was so crazy. Like, probably a couple of weeks ago I received a message from one of my old bosses and this was a boss that I had when I used to work in restaurants in San Francisco and she is just like she was always just like such a massive mentor to all of us because she was um just this super strong like feminist female she has like a uh, fucking phoenix tattooed on her neck like she's just like she's just the fucking shit and she was so fun and like always wanted to see the best in all of us and like really took time to like build our knowledge on different things in the hospitality industry and she was just like a role model because she I know she had come from like fuck sorry GB if you're listening but I feel like you came from some like backwood state in the U.S. like that could be a lie I can't really remember um but then you made your way to SF and just started like ruling life and um she was just such a uh, important figure for all of us youngins at that time when we were trying to figure out what we wanted to do with our lives and if it was in hospitality, so on, so on. I can go for days about her. But anyway, she randomly messaged me the other day to let me know that her career path has taken a sudden and abrupt change to 
like she was this powerhouse like cocktail hospitality manager like doing all this like crazy shit and now she is a um spiritual healer yes and she literally quit her job and she's been unemployed for months which doesn't surprise me this lady made a fuckload of money she was opening restaurants and doing all kinds of shit so like she was handling biz and sf and she's been employed for a while and she i don't know i haven't found out what led her to this path but i mean you've you've been in catering before cj like i worked in restaurants for years like that is the most fucking draining hardcore intense industry that will turn you into like an old man in like a matter of a day like it's exhausting (laughs) and like it's hard on your body and it's just like it's a brutal industry to be in and she did it for so many years and she left her mark she taught people she inspired people and for whatever reason she she has changed paths and she's now kickstarting her life as a spiritual energy healer and i think she's doing like reiki and like crystal sound bath healing and like all kinds of fucking shit and this is coming out of left field <laughs> like i'm like i'm sorry what like what yeah. do you mean and so i just think that's such an inspiration watching somebody like reroute their life and going from something that like you know, has a constant income and something that you can rely on to, like, taking a massive risk and, like, dropping it all and just, like, having this clean slate to, like, you know, dedicate your life into a profession that, like, a lot of people not only don't really believe or support, like, that's a really, really wild thing to do. And um, I'm so proud of her for making that change and just, like, taking risks to that extreme. And I'm fucking stoked to get my first session with her because, fuck, like, girl probably has some shit to say. She knows me real well. <laughs> but I wanted to shout her out. Um, she does have her own plug, and she just created her first Instagram, where most of it's pretty much, like, quotes and things of that sort. But um, if you want to find her, her Instagram handle is rev.gb, and that's, like, R E V period gb and i'm not gonna lie i'm pretty sure that sounds for reverend jenny brown (laughs) (laughs) she's like oh yeah i'm a priest (laughs) yeah and so she's she's saying that she's a spiritual counselor and she has a website and i'm just stoked so i don't know i think it's huge to do you know something on that level and I'm just proud of her, and it excites me to watch people that I love and people that I'm I'm so inspired by that have been mentors to me make huge risks. It reminds me that, like, at any point in our lives, the path might change. And, like, instead of fearing it, like, go with it. Like, let it it take you in and just run with it because, like, what's meant for you will be for you. And so I have no doubt that she'll find success in her new career path. And so I'm really excited for her. Her name's Ginny Brown. She's single. She's in San Francisco. She's hot as shit. She's going to spiritually awake your life. Like, she out there. She out there. So uh, high five, GB. High five, GB. I'm proud of you. Get it, GB. All right. All right, I think that's it. I think that's it. Uh, please like, it's not like, please rate with five stars and leave us saucy reviews. 
We need the support. And subscribe if you haven't already. And tell everyone that you know how much you love our podcast. Exactly. And follow us on Instagram. And Mimosa Sisterhood. And go to our website. Mimosasisterhood.com. Read blog posts. And send us emails. (laughs) Send us emails, because nobody will. We only had one email. And we made a whole episode about it, so if you send us an email, we could potentially make an episode about you. That's right. At (laughs) gmail.com. Okay. Until next time. Until next time. Thanks for listening. Thanks. Bye. Okay. Bye.